0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I'm going to read a little bit, a little bit more of our text. This is what we have covered so far in Ephesians. The, the sixth chapter, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he says, Finally, my brethren, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This is a, a, a passage that Paul was, was writing and he was completing his message to the Ephesian church. He, Paul always starts is what they call the epistles, which are letters to churches. He starts them with what I would call uh, positional truth. He starts off telling them who they are. Ephesians is a great book. It tells us a lot about who we are, what Jesus has done for us, the the acceptance we have, the the redemption, being bought back, being forgiven. So he starts off with with that. This is what God has done for you, kind of big picture. Then at the end, he narrows it down to... And and now here are some things that you can do. So he starts off with big truth, and then he goes to practical truth. And the practical truth is is the reality of where we're living. And he begins to tell them, he said, you you need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He said, you need to put on the, the, the full armor of God that we can withstand it. So it tells us we have armor. It tells us that we can stand but he said it, it's something very interesting, and I think it's something for, good for us to keep in mind. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I, I think it, it, it would be good for you, it, and it's helpful for you to remember, for all of us, to remember that we're living in a world that there are spiritual forces involved. That there is a spiritual realm that envelops this realm that we live in, and that the spiritual realm does have an impact as we as we look, and, and depending on your age, I'm thinking for those of us who are of the more mature uh, <laughs> age, I, I talk to people my age, and and they they are appalled at some of the things that have taken place in our country. Uh, the reason it's the older people who are appalled is because we have a history, and look, and we look back on it on the history. And so, what what you're, you're finding is, if you don't recognize that there's spiritual forces at work, then you get angry at everybody. I'm angry at the government. I'm angry at the Republicans. I'm angry at the Democrats. I'm I'm angry. It's the millennials. It's all their fault. It's, it's Everyone starts pointing the fingers and blaming. We need to recognize who the real enemy is. And, and the real enemy, some of the things that we're dealing with, are, are spiritual. For- now, I, I think what I've seen, what i just noticed in the past few years, is it seems like darkness has escalated. And, and, and we're seeing an escalation of that. There are things taking place today that, 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 that even shocked me. And I'm like, What? You know, I'll be honest with you, some of, the, some of this gender confusion, we're going to have to recognize, guys, where that comes from. Right. Uh, to allow a three- or four-year-old to choose what their gender identity is is not a godly thing. Right. It's, it's confusing. If you're a three- or four-year-old, you can't even choose what you want for lunch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Much less what gender you're going to be. And the idea of gender fluid, one day I feel like I'm female, the next day I feel like I'm male, that's not godly because it's confusion and it causes confusion. And yet our society is now just embracing this like it's true. And we're like, what is going on? We need to elect somebody else. I don't care who we elect it doesn't change the spiritual forces that we're dealing with. And so the idea is, as opposed to us just getting angry at everybody around, we need to recognize what we're dealing with. And it becomes very important for us to put on the full armor of God so we can stand against some of this stuff, so we can help our children stand against this. So if your child comes in and says, Mama, the boy down the street told me I'm not really a boy, I'm a girl. You can stop him and go, Son, I'm going to tell you something. You are a boy. I checked you out when you were born. I, I've, seen the, I've seen the plumbing. You're a boy. We're going to work with that. Stay right. there. And you help your child with truth as opposed to what the culture deems is, is okay. Does, right. that, does that make sense? Yes, sir. And, and so the idea... <laughs> uh, but if you don't recognize this as spiritual, you think, well, it's, it's all cultural and, and Alan's just on a, on a soapbox. No, Alan is concerned because of the confusion level, and because for such a progressive society, we're not moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Suicides are on the increase. Generation Z, the, the younger generation now, is called the most anxious generation we've ever had. You have people there, the, the, the fear and the anxiety levels are out there. And we're trying to, people in, in the secular world are trying to pinpoint why is this going on? And yet the Bible says, in the last days, perilous times will come. And so the Bible, the scriptures already talked about that in the last days, and so people who are waiting for America to go back to where it used to be, I don't think, guys, it's going to happen. I think we're going to have to understand the times we're living in and understand the spiritual darkness we're dealing with, and that's why the armor of God becomes so important. Does that make sense? Now, here's another thing, too. Getting angry at the people who embrace... Some of this confusion and darkness that's going on is not going to help them. We need to get rid of the angry Christian mentality. That's not helping anybody. The idea is we're light in this world, not a hammer in this world. We are not the Christian hammer. For those of you who have never seen Jim Madeline, now he's got his son. His son is like the Texas Hammer Junior. Some Christians feel like that's my job. I'm the the Christian Hammer. I'm going to hammer everybody. Please don't. Please. Please. What we need is is to help people and and love them and, and help them see truth. Does that mean? People say, well, Alan, can, can, can transgenders come in here? Absolutely. Hope they do. Because if they come in here, then the Spirit of God has an opportunity to help them and bring truth and bring light and bring help. Last year we had a lady that, that told us she was in the process of making a, making a switch. And she just came and sat. I never met her. She just came and sat for a while. And, and the truth of the gospel dawned in her heart and she stopped what she was doing. And it, it changed her life. And so we don't have to hammer people. We love them, and we share the light of the gospel with them. But we also understand, we need to recognize that we're living in a world that's dark. And so uh, the armor of God now, I haven't taught this subject in years, but I feel like it's, it's, it's important now. And we've kind of gotten away from it. Back in the 80s, it was a big topic. Matthew used to have, in fact, you could even go, you might still be able to go buy like, armor of God, like plastic, plastic armor of God stuff. Man, we bought Matthew. He had the breastplate, and uh, he had a sword, and he did some damage with that sword. <laughs> that was not—it was—it was intended to be the sword of the spirit, but Matt decided to use it on his sister, and so uh, <laughs> had to, had to r- release him from the sword. Uh, part of the part of the things we've talked about in here, in putting on the armor of God is that is obviously Paul is speaking metaphorically, so we're talking about truths that we need to embrace and truths that we need to get a hold of and, and thinking that has to be changed. And so part of that, uh, uh, part of that spiritual uh, darkness that we deal with is, is how do you deal with that darkness when it, when it comes at your mind, when it, comes, when it comes all around you. And so Paul begins then to describe what the armor of God looks like. And what we need to adopt in our own life and so he he picks it up here with uh and i want to talk about the belt of truth a little bit more uh the belt of truth carrie go ahead and put up ephesians 6 13 and 14 again the last part is what i want to focus on stand therefore having girded your waist with truth and having put on the the breastplate of righteousness so the belt of truth is what we talked about um In the Roman soldier, they would wear a belt. It would actually kind of hold everything together, armor, rested on it, sword, attached to it. So it was kind of like a central, central part. Truth is central. Truth is not relative. You hear people say, well, that's your truth. This is my truth. It's not my truth. I'm, I'm, I'm taking God's word as truth. John 17, 17 says, Jesus was praying. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sometimes people say, well, they, you know, that's what your church believes. No, I, I, I believe what God's word says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He stood in front of Pontius Pilate right before he was crucified and, uh, and, and talked about the truth. And, and Pilate asked, Pilate says, what is, what is truth? Yeah, a lot of people say, that, what, what is truth? Well, you, you Christians you have your truth, but the Buddhists have their truth. And, and you know, everyone has their own truth. Everyone may have their own belief, but Jesus said his word, God's word is truth. And that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he made, his, he made himself very, uh, very, very inclusive. It's, 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 you believe what he said, or we don't. I, I've chosen to believe what he said. I, in fact, if, if you're here today and you say, yes, Alan, I'm a Christian, I believe the Lord, then you've chosen to believe his word you have based, you've based your eternity on that so my, my, my point is if we base our eternity on the fact that for God so loved the world that, who, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life if we believe that then I'm going to believe the rest of it too because if that's true then the rest of it is true and so we hang on to that truth in, in, a, in a world that's constantly bombarding us this is where we, we need to have truth as the foundation So he said, God's word is true. Then he he said uh, uh, something that Jesus said that I thought is really good. He said that God's truth will produce freedom. John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, uh, a lot of people like to take that last uh, phrase, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It, that's, a, that's a, a continue if you abide in my word if you continue in my word then you're my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free here's, here's where because I know people say well you know not, I've been going to church for a long time and I've, I've heard stuff I, I'm not free and, and so the idea is okay but my question to you is that how much, how much have you given God's word of, of priority? In your life. Jesus said, if you abide, if you continue. So this is where this is where we're not just reading the Bible to check a box. This is where we're reading the Bible to begin to understand that we're disciples of Christ. I want to follow Him. So I want to hear what He says. And I want to take His words and apply it in my life. And then I begin to know the truth about who God is, who I am, God's love for me. And it begins to change things. And so you begin to learn truth. And and the more you learn it, the more it helps you. Now I'm going to read just some things and and things that I've talked with people over the years, things that I've heard, and they're lies. If there's truth that can make us free, there's a lie that can bring us into bondage. People say things like, I can't be forgiven. I'm cursed. I'm doomed to bad luck. I'm unlovable, unlucky in love. I'm full of fear. I have no self-control. One of my favorite ones, well, that's just the way I am. Now, the thing about it is, is you can hold on to that or you can can abandon that and say, God, what's your truth here? What, What is your truth? The challenge is, is that we've grown up and we've already formed, for the most part, an image of who we think we are. And you'll have people that go, and they're just perfectly fine people, but you talk to them and they they say, well, uh, you know, just to be honest with you, I've always been a loser. That's an image that somebody has on the inside. And oftentimes what you see on the inside is what gets produced on the outside. If you're, if you've ever been in, in athletics, uh, recent I say recent last 25 years, you've seen an increase in what they call sports psychology. In sports psychology, they try to work with athletes so they can begin to get an image of them winning. A, 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 a golfer, many of you golfers, recognizing golfer, they'll talk about visualizing a putt going in. You'll talk about visualizing yourself making a shot and sports psychology will work on trying to change that inner image inside. What a, a friend of mine was talking about, they actually did a conference on this, Keith Moore, he comes here. He was talking about this last, last week, and it really stirred, it, it stirred Joy and I up, because we begin to realize so much of the time we're working with people, and you can share God's word with them, but they already have an image on the inside of them that's different. And so you tell them God loves you, but they see themselves as unlovable. Maybe it was a parent that told them, "You were a mistake. We should have never had you. It's a, you know, it's a wonder you stayed, It's a wonder you stayed out of jail or if you've been to jail, and no wonder that's, that's where we thought you'd wind up. You know, words like that hurt, and they form images on the inside. Jesus saying, "If you continue in His word, you begin to know the truth, and the truth will make you free." So we begin to find out, wait a minute. I'm not a loser because I'm in Christ and old things have passed away and all things have become new. That's a, that pre- begins to present a different picture that I, I'm not unlovable. I'm not doomed to failure. I'm blessed. But See, that's a, if, if you've been thinking those kind of thoughts, then you're going to have to, one, ask the Lord, go, Lord, show me where my thoughts have been wrong about who I am. Y'all are really quiet. Are you listening or just quiet? Okay. Okay. That's all, that's all right. Every now and then, if you would just grunt to let me know you're here, that would be good. But, but this, is, this is some of the challenge that, that we deal with. We deal with these kind of thoughts and we deal with this kind of image. And so the beautiful thing about God's word is it has the ability to begin to change on us on the inside as to who we see ourselves as. Now, okay, let, let, let me just ask you a question. Those of you who are parents, if you're a child, maybe you have a young child, we just dedicated some beautiful children here. You know, if, if I looked at that child, you know, that little girl, she was so cute. You know, I laid hands on her, she looked at me, she had big blue eyes. She looked at me, took my hand. like no, was, I don't know who you are, don't touch me. I, I'm, I'm thinking, darling, just stay that way for the next 20 years and you're going to be fine. Um... If I looked at that child and said, no, this child is destined to become such a failure in life, y'all, y'all, y'all would be angry at me. That's right. And if after the father, who was a pretty good sized guy, decked me and I, and, I, and I got up, how many of you know that? that's wrong? That's wrong. One, who, who am I to say that to? That's wrong. If, you're, if your child comes to you and said you know what the, you know, the, the teacher at school said I am just an absolute failure and I'll never make it and I'm going to be lucky to get out of the third grade see all of y'all are like no I, I can see some of y'all now is like mm, I'm going to take that ARC sticker right off my car when I go up in like you, you are not going to say that to my child you're not going to do that and yet, how often have we done that to ourselves? And so the thoughts, and so we're going before the Lord, and we're telling the Lord, I, I'm, 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 you know, I, I know, I'm just, I'm just a failure as a Christian. Lord, I, I, I know, you know, I'll never be like so-and-so, I'll never be like that. And, and we keep devaluing ourselves. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciple indeed, and you're going to know the truth and the truth will make you free. I say, I'm not big on you guys reading your Bible so you can check a box. I'm big on reading your Bible because it begins to change the image of who you are. And you begin to get a picture of how loved you are and how blessed you are. And it begins to change you inside out. It makes you free. And then when someone says, well, you're you're just destined for failure, something on the inside of you goes, not me, not me. In fact, I'm the head and not the tail. I am above only and I'm not beneath. You say, where did you get that? I got that from the scriptures. And so when you begin to go to the scriptures, you begin to find out what God has done in us. So part of that battle is we're constantly dealing with truth. We want the truth. We want the truth about who God says we are. We want the truth about who God is. I've said this. Uh, Joy and I have talked about this. My, my father was... Uh, Raised in the Depression, he, he had to fight and scrap and claw. He's in heaven now. He had to fight and scrap and claw for everything he ever got in life. Put himself through college. Self-made man. Had his own business. Hard worker. His big concern was that his, my life would be too easy and that I wouldn't work hard or that I wouldn't develop into much. He had a fear of that. So the message I received from my dad is you're pretty much on your own. And when, once I began to, I mean, he put me on a bus when I'm 10 years old, and sent me down two hours away on a bus to go to a camp. I was the only kid that showed up on the bus. On the way back, I missed my bus. I'm standing at a, I'm standing at a bus station, crying my eyes out, 10 years old, holding my pillow. I didn't have money to, you know, to get home. And so they, they got me home, but he was doing that. There was a fear in him that I would not become successful unless, unless things were hard on me. Does that make sense? What it did in me was create an image that God has pretty much left me on my own. And so I don't want to ask him for anything. If any of you had fathers, some of you had fathers who weren't even absent. If you're not careful, it can create an image that God really isn't carrying in your life and he's absent as well. So what happens is we have to go back and go, wait a minute, even though I appreciate my father, he did a lot of good things. I can't take that as the truth in my life. I have to take God's word as the truth in my life. And, it, and God's word said, he that did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him, Jesus, also freely give us all things? So what, what I have to do is I have to replace that, that image of God holds me off, waiting for me to do it on my own, to a God who loves me enough to give his very best, to give his son, and freely gives me all things. That's pulling down a lie, that's, that's elevating truth, and that will make you free. Does, does that make sense? Does, does that have, so, so all of, and listen, no one's perfect at this. This is all a process. This is all something we're learning at and growing. But as the more we continue in his word, we don't read it again just to say I did my duty. I read it to find out truth because it's truth that makes me free. It begins to change me on the inside. So that's, the, that's what we're talking about. You've got to have the belt of truth. Then the, he goes into this. I'll introduce it tonight. We'll talk about it uh, next Next week is night of worship. Do not miss that. It's going to be wonderful. And, and then the, the week after that, we'll talk about this. The, the breastplate of Righteousness. The breastplate, of right, breastplate was the largest thing on uh, a, a Roman soldier's armor, and it was, it was big. It was usually well-decorated. It was beautiful. It protected the, the vital organs. The breastplate of righteousness. Maybe one of the biggest themes in the Bible is righteousness, being in right standing with God. This is, you can see why this is huge, why this is a big, because you realize that in the hearts of men and women everywhere, there's this... There's this God-shaped void that says, I want to be right with God or I'm not right with God. And so it's a, it's a very real thing. And so this idea of righteousness is a big theme of the Bible. In Romans, it, it contrasts the righteousness of the works versus the righteousness which is of God by faith. I'll read this passage to you, and then we'll close. Carrie, I'm going to skip to Romans, the third chapter. If you'll skip down there with me. Romans, the third chapter, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God being right with God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. But there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. The The big theological question that Paul kept addressing was, how am I going to be right with God? I can, I can work and do things to be right with God. I can go to church. I can serve. I can even serve in the nursery. I can, I can, uh, work in the parking lot. I can do a lot of things. I can, I can read my Bible and I can do all these things, but doing all that is not what's going to make you right with God. doing all that is actually, it's secondary. What makes me right with God is I recognize that I have sinned in my life. I recognize I'm a sinner and God's perfect and I'm not. And so I say, Lord, I I receive you. I receive Jesus and everything he did with his death and his burial and his resurrection, I receive him by faith. I claim Jesus as the Lord and savior of my life. When I did that, I was made the righteousness of God. I got made right. I didn't, I, I didn't, I Man, you could be over here working and doing everything you can and that will not make you right in the sight of God because the Bible said all of sinned and fall short of his glory. But we have been justified freely, meaning that when you, say, when you say, Lord, I receive you, it's a free gift. That's why none of us can turn our nose up at anybody else. The righteousness that's in our life is because of what Jesus has done. All we did was accept it. It was a free gift. So we stand over here. Now, say, well, boy, that's great, Alan. That means I don't have to go to church. I don't have to serve in the nursery. I don't have to do any of that anymore. No, no. Now, because I am in right standing with God, I do this out of a relationship with the Lord, not trying to get right with him. Does, does that make sense? It's a, it's a big thing. Because if you're always trying to work, you'll never be able to do enough on your own. It was by grace Through faith in Jesus Christ that made us. But now that we have right standing, guess what? Now it's not different levels of right standing. It's not like, well, Alan has this level of right standing because he's a pastor. And Joy has this because she's perfect. and, And I'm somewhere down here. No, it all gets level because it's all in Christ. All because of what he did. So no longer do I have to look at someone else and go, man, I wish I was right with God. I wish God would hear my prayers. I wish he would, he would hear me. Listen, when you made Jesus your Lord, you have, you have the same right standing that I do. Same right standing that Billy Graham did. I did not blaspheme. <laughs> Billy Graham's righteousness was not because he was a wonderful preacher that preached to millions. His righteousness because... He placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And if you place your faith in the same Lord, same righteousness. No tears. No elite level, silver level, platinum level. It's all level at the cross. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, we're grateful and thankful for all that you've done in Christ. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing truth into our lives. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us, what needs to change and take place, the entrance of your words gives light. Thank you for that. Thank you that we're constantly changing and growing and going from glory to glory, even as by your Spirit. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight. If you came and said, you know what, Alan, I don't even have a relationship with the Lord, and I know it and He knows it, but I don't don't want things to continue that way. I want that to change. Or maybe you're saying tonight, I'm not really sure, but I want to be. Or maybe you're like I was. I was raised in church, made a decision at a young age, but I turned away from God. And tonight you're there going, I don't want to live away from God. I want to live connected. We're going to pray. Very simple prayer. not going to have you stand up or come to the front. But if that's you, and you say, either one of those situations applies, and you would like our prayers, would you just slip your hand up, acknowledge that, and say, thank you. Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, got you. All the way in the back, in the front. Anybody else? Wonderful. Put your hands down. We're going to pray. This is a heart prayer. Sometimes people are like, I'm embarrassed to lift my hand. Well, you can pray this from your heart. And we're going to pray it with you as a church family. Say, dear God, dear God I know mankind needs a Savior. Needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. God Jesus, I you're the son of God. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And, my sins. and God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer tonight. We rejoice with them for those who have come in and those who have come back. Father, we thank you for your wonderful plan and what you're doing in them that will last for eternity. Give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.